Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Soldis. This week, we have three stories for you. One on a political donor who's been pushing conspiracy theories and far-right rhetoric. Then assistant editor Riley Snyder and I talk about the race between Catherine Cortez Masto and Adam Laxalt for Senate before wrapping up the show with a piece on the Nevada Day Parade, one of the last big political events before the election. Alrighty, well, I am here with reporter Tabitha Mueller and senior correspondent from KUNR, Bert Johnson. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good. Thanks, Joey. Yeah, and so we are talking about a big story that you guys worked on for several months, and it's about Robert Beatles, who is, is a, a pretty divisive figure. He's a very interesting figure. He's a big history. He's very wealthy, and he donates a lot to a lot of uh, different political things going on around Nevada. So to start off, and I know this is a really big question, but who is Robert Beatles? <laughs> So just to kind of start off with a little bit of backstory about Robert Beatles that you should know. So Beatles kind of grew up in California. He started a construction company and then got into real estate ventures there. Then in 2010, he made a bid for U.S. Congress, but then dropped out early. And where we really start to see him making a name for himself in Nevada is in 2021. At that time, he was kind of supporting far-right candidates and making unfounded claims of election fraud. What Bert and I kind of looked into were even more outlandish comments that he's made on his online platforms. Yeah, and, and so here's a clip of Beatles uh, talking about some of those claims on his podcast. I always go back to the uh, the document from 1905, the the, the learned uh, protocols of the um, elders of Zion. And I know a lot of people, if you look at the mainstream media or you look at uh, Google or Amazon, they say it's a hoax, but it's it's based and founded on you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years of tactics on how you overthrow governments and how you would do exactly this, layer yourself in every part of government to essentially destroy it from within. And then despite making all these claims about public health officials, Beatles has stressed at times that political protests like need to happen peacefully. But what we found is he has no problem repeatedly sharing far-fetched conspiracy theories in his live streams and his self-published books. So that's just like a very brief overview of kind of who he is as a person. He's funded a lot of candidates. He's put in more than a million dollars into local politics. Yeah. And so let's talk about donations that he's made to politics, right? He has donated a ton of money, especially up here in the north and in the Reno area, but, you know, statewide as well. Where is his money going? Right. So we've seen him spend more than a million dollars over the last two years on political activities, including paying for the primary recount of the gubernatorial race. So Beatles paid $190,000 to fund a recount in support of former gubernatorial candidate Joey Gilbert that didn't actually change the outcome of the race. And he was in support in that. And Beatles also backed Republican Mike Clark in his primary challenge of Washoe County Commissioner Bob Lucy. He funded recall efforts here in Washoe County against two sitting officials, one being Angela Taylor, who was a trustee of the Washoe County School District and the only sitting elected Black official here in Washoe County. And the other one was uh, Commissioner Von Hartung, and he's a Washoe County Commissioner up north as well. It's also an important thing to, to note when you're talking about Robert Beatles that he's not always sending checks directly to a candidate. He runs a few different PACs, and so he'll put a lot of money into those, and then he uses those organizations to do things like 
organizing smear campaigns against officials he disagrees with. So a really good example of that is the smear campaign he ran against Washoe County Commissioner Bob Lucy, who ended up losing his primary to Mike Clark, who's an election denier, who enjoys Beatles' support. But until quarter three, Beatles hadn't actually donated directly to Mike Clark's campaign itself. Instead, he poured an awful lot of money into this effort to undermine and demonize Bob Lucy because Lucy had not supported this initiative that Beatles was trying to push through the county commission that would have put a lot of restrictions on how elections are administered here in Washoe County. Lucy talked about how the tactics that Beatles used made him concerned about the future of government. Robert Beatles built this momentum behind the idea of election integrity and that things were stolen from people and and utilized his money to create a media ploy and educate people through a false narrative to get people scared. It was a scare tactic. We've heard, you know, kind of how he's supporting these efforts. And and it's definitely interesting, right? Because when you're looking at money moving into politics, I think a lot of times people are only looking at donations to candidates. And again, that's capped for individuals. PACs is a little bit different and it gets complicated. But, But he's running these PACs and he's sending out these ads, these smear campaigns against certain candidates. I'm curious, though, how did he get this money? Where Where is this all coming from? I mean, one of the things about Robert Beatles that's kind of interesting as context, at least, is a lot of the way he brands himself is as this cryptocurrency guru, so to speak. Before the 2020 election, most of his online content was actually oriented towards giving people advice about how to get into the crypto game. After former President Donald Trump lost the election, and especially after the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, that's where you started to see this very distinct shift in what Beatles was talking about in his rhetoric. That's where he started to get really into the stolen election, false narrative. That's where he started to refer to things like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is a really old anti-Semitic pamphlet that was falsified. And that's come up time and time again whenever you see anti-Semitism emerge in the public space. For instance, the Nazi government referred to that while they were engineering the Holocaust. So Beatles started mentioning things like that and saying it could help explain part of what he saw as the stolen election where forces outside of the U.S. government had rigged the game. He likes to present himself as someone who's made a lot of money through his investments in cryptocurrencies. But he's also really into real estate. And he's also he also founded a couple of different construction companies back where he's from in San Joaquin County, California, in the Central Valley. Yeah. And and, and why is he so interested in, in northern Nevada politics now? I think that's a really good question to ask. A big part of what seems to be motivating Robert Beatles is his support for former President Trump, the MAGA movement more generally, or he usually uses the term America first. He seems to be very convinced that, again, the election was stolen, but also he's really opposed to things like public health measures around the COVID-19 pandemic. He 
He's very proud and, and likes to talk often about how he's never been vaccinated. He has a word he uses to describe that status. He calls himself a pure blood because he's never gotten a COVID-19 vaccine. And so it really seems like he's animated by a lot of those kind of culture war issues that became aligned with President Trump's administration, but also his campaign and, and the rhetoric he's been using since he left office. So is Robert Beatles the only person we're kind of seeing doing stuff like this with this amount of money, with these packs, running the smear campaign? Are we seeing other people in the area that are kind of pushing either more leftist views or on his side as well, pushing, you know, more of the right viewpoints. So Beatles is one of the most significant people that we've noticed doing this here in northern Nevada. But I do want to note that, like, he's following a national playbook. You know, there's a lot of election deniers who want to change the electoral system from the ground up. We saw that I think reporter Sean Glanka just did a story about what's been happening in kind of the rural counties and the attempts to change how the election is processed the way ballots are counted out there. But there's also this national strategy that people are talking about called the precinct strategy, which sort of refers to a plan for stacking the Republican Party with loyal Trumpists, starting with grassroots volunteers at the lowest levels of government. So if you can get people who support your views and ideologies at the bottom of the government and then work your way up, that's this goal of, of the precinct strategy. And Beatles has promoted this precinct strategy. He was on Steve Bannon's show, The War Room, in October, I believe, of 2021. And he talks about this strategy. I want to bring in Robert Beatles now, who's working with Dan Schultz over at precinctstrategy.com. You've totally rebuilt the site. You've got an amazing platform. Robert, tell us about it. Tell us how people can get engaged. Hey, Steve. Um, our message is very simple. Nobody is coming to save us. You know, we really have to save ourselves. You know, we need about one out of every four conservatives to stand up and become like a, a recruiting machine and recruit like two other people. We need our President Trump, you know, talking about the precinctstrategy.com. We need these these rallies that are like rock concerts where everybody's out there, you know, banging their head. Then they leave. What we need are these politicians to actually give people action to do, to tell them to get involved rather than just give them money and you know, and their votes, right? You know, the left, you know, and these rhinos, they're really scared of Trump, but what they should be scared of is like 25 to 100 million little Trump 2.0s running around the country. You know, these rhinos that are in office, you know, they keep letting us down. We need to do like a, a peaceful purge, you know, bringing in American firsters. You know, we need to take back our votes. We need to take back our school boards. We need to cancel these mandates. How do we do that? Well, brilliant Dan Schultz and his precinct strategy does just that. We haven't really seen anyone on the left doing something comparable at the same scale, especially not at the local level here. And of course, there have been wealthy donors sending a lot of money to a lot of candidates for a long time in the United States. That's nothing new. But what is different is the scale of what he's doing compared to anything else on the local level. Someone wielding as much influence as Robert Beatles seems to be on a local level specifically, that is unusual. 
So with all of this, what's next? What do we expect to see next from Beatles? Well, I would say the first thing we're going to see is how well the candidates and causes he supports do in the upcoming midterm election. He saw some of his preferred candidates get through and move on to the general. So that'll be kind of the next big test for the amount of influence he's been able to wield and how successful that's been. If you want to hear more reporting on the piece you just heard, you can find it on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. You can also find more on KUNR.org, where they also have an audio piece for listeners. Now moving on from campaign donors to the people that actually receive said donations, I'll be chatting with our own Riley Snyder, who goes over the close race between incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and her challenger, Republican Adam Laxalt. I am here with assistant editor Riley Snyder, who is hanging out with a baby. Hey, Joey. How's it going? It's good. How is the baby? He's good. He's been good practice for dealing with grumpy campaign operatives because they have very similar temperaments this time of year. So it's been been an adventure for sure. <laughs> well, yes, I'm sure it's, it's been good practice. So we are talking about the Senate race, the big race between incumbent Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto and her challenger, Republican Adam Laxalt. So to start off, why are we only seeing one Senate race this cycle? Uh, we have two senators. Is, is there a reason? Is that how it normally goes? Yeah. So the United States Senate has 100 members and a third of those 100 members are up for re-election or election every two years. This current Senate race is the first time this specific seat has been up since 2016, which was six years ago. Our last Senate race was in 2018, which is where Jackie Rosen, who's Democrat, defeated former Senator Dean Heller. So we'll see another Senate race two years from now, and then four years from now, we'll get an off year, but then this will be up six years from now again. All right. And so tell me a little bit about, let's start with the incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto. What's, What's her history? How long has she been in the Senate for us and stuff? Yeah, so she was first elected to the Senate in 2016, and prior to that, she was the state's attorney general for two four-year terms. She has also worked for the state government in various capacities before that. Her father, Manny Cortez, was a um, longtime Clark County commissioner and very well known in the Las Vegas area. So she has been in the Senate for six years. She's, She's not like the Democratic Ted Cruz, if that makes sense. She's a little bit more reserved. But this race has kind of brought her to the forefront just because of how competitive it is and how in our current 50-50 partisan split in the Senate that this might be the tipping point for Republicans to take control or for Democrats to keep control. So she's definitely been more in the spotlight recently as opposed to the last like four or five years. What is is she running on? She's largely running on continuing the progress that the Biden administration has made over the last two years. She's made immigration a cornerstone of her campaign. She was the first Latina elected to the U.S. Senate. So that's been big for her to get things like DACA and other immigration policy things put forward. It's been very difficult, obviously, in the Senate with the 50-50 split and the lack of sort of a bipartisan consensus on what steps to take on immigration. So that's been a big one. Really, she's also run on codifying or trying to protect abortion access after Roe v. Wade was overturned this summer. And she's often used these things to try to contrast her against her opponent, Adam Laxalt, who falls more into the um, normal conservative viewpoints on a lot of these issues. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also one notable thing about Catherine Cortez Masto is that she's raised a ton of money, right? Yeah. So she's shattered fundraising records for any Senate candidate or any other federal candidate. A lot of this is just her as a fundraiser. A lot of it is like the national attention on this race. There's also like a ton of outside money pouring in. So that comes from when we say outside money, that refers to political action committees and other groups that are running ads on the race that aren't necessarily affiliated with her campaign or with Adam Laxalt's campaign, but they're still trying to influence people. So Vegas is like one of the media markets that's seen the most political ad spending between now and the election. So if you're listening to this and wondering why you see so many ads, it's not just you. Like <laughs> there's nowhere else where it's this bad in the country. Talking about the contentiousness of this race, let's talk about her opponent, Adam Laxalt. Yeah, so Adam Laxalt, like Cortez Masto, is the state's former attorney general. He served one term between 2014 and 2018. He ran for governor in 2018 against Steve Sisolak and lost by, I think, four to five percentage points. After that, he became the Trump campaign's Nevada chair and was kind of the face of the efforts to try to overturn the election in 2020. After that, he launched his Senate campaign, and he's been largely focused on that the last year and a half. He is comes with a lot of Nevada political history. His grandfather is Paul Axalt, who was a longtime senator and political figure in Nevada, was very close friends with Ronald Reagan. His father was a um, New Mexico senator, Pete Dominici, and he's actually the child of him and one of Paul Axalt's children that was parentage not revealed until like 2012 or 2013. So he has, I would say, largely aligned himself with kind of the social conservative wing of the Republican Party. He's running a lot on social issues as well as economic issues. His big push has been on things like inflation and how Cortez Masto has been a rubber stamp for President Biden and the Democratic Party. And what what have we heard about this race? What are pundits saying? What are the what are the polls saying right now? It seems like it's pretty close, right? Yeah, basically all reputable polls have the race within the margin of error with Laxalt maybe like a point or two ahead. But again, it's all in the margin of error and people are a little cautious to make predictions at this point. I think it's certainly fair to call the the race a toss up. A lot of it's going to come down to turnout, not to repeat what pundits always say, but people will be looking at how turnout looks in rural Nevada, how Clark County turnout looks during the early vote period and heading into election day. So it's definitely going to be one of the closest Senate races in the country if the polling that we're seeing um, continues to be accurate. And then I guess just to wrap up, you know, I, I think most people listening probably know what a senator does. But for those who don't, you know, what is broadly the job of of Cortez Masto right now and, and potentially Adam Laxalt if he if he's to win? Yeah. So to go back to civics 101, U.S. senators are in a body of 100. They can introduce legislation or they can vote on legislation that's introduced in the House. Just because there's fewer of them, they typically have more power than U.S. House members. They vote on appointments for executive and judicial branch offices. They deal with impeachments if that comes up, which it has in the past. And they also play a role in determining like federal spending, budgets, and things of that nature. Every state elects two senators, regardless of its size. In Nevada, because we're such a competitive state, there's a lot of eyes on our Senate race, given that both of our senators are kind of in their first term. Cortez Mask is looking for her second term. So we've had a little bit less influence on the national stage as we did when Former Senator Harry Reid was in power. He served as Senate Majority and Minority Leaders. But yeah, they play a, a pretty significant role on the congressional side of things. They also have offices and can help constituents or people with any issues in terms of like interfacing with the federal government, whether it's benefits or anything like that. 
All right, Riley, well, thanks for going over the Senate race and be sure to check out our website. We have an elections page and we'll have results on uh, election night and uh, lots more reporting coming out as the election draws closer. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, Joey. To wrap up the show, we thought we'd take you along to a parade. That's right. I headed down to the Nevada Day Parade in Carson City with photographer David Calvert on Saturday, October 29th to talk about one of the last big gatherings of the political candidates before the election on November 8th. Nevada Day is our state holiday, the day in 1864 that Nevada became a state, and every year thousands of people gather in Carson City to celebrate the day with festivities and a big four-hour-long parade. The parade has everything from fire trucks to Burning Man art cars, from church choirs to motorcycle clubs, and from politicians to kings and queens. Here comes the float from Malasia, the independent nation in Nevada. This is this car just has a picture of the queen on it. What is this? Like a Shakespeare, Beating the Beast, Wizard of Oz. Oh, look, there's a bunch of forks. People dressed as forks. Youth Theater of Carson. Oh, this looks cool. Followed by a minivan with some tassel on it uh, and a sign I cannot read. As you can hear there, I went down to Carson City to watch the parade along with photographer David Calvert. David and I met up towards the end of the parade to discuss what we had seen. Well, hey, I ran into photographer David Calvert. David's uh, shooting photos for us here down at the uh, the parade. How, how has it been so far? Uh, it's good. Um, uh, this is probably like the seventh or eighth Nevada Day parade I've covered. Um, I you know get here down uh, just before the balloons go up at eight o'clock, and I have been just getting my steps in, <laughs> like <laughs> trying to catch up to. To candidates, um, you know, mostly the focus for us is, is looking at those politicians and photographing that, but then also like photographing all the, the Nevada stuff. Yeah, and there's, I kind of love the Nevada Day Parade because it's kind of a total mishmash of like random stuff where you'll see like a veterans organization followed by a political candidate, followed by just like someone in a car. <laughs> someone in a car, dancing horses, like CrossFit gyms. I just saw PBS Reno, who I've worked for in the past, so I went and waved at them, and then some guy offered me a Jaeger shot. Now we've got like old cars coming in. The variety of people that you see, the different organizations, the different cultural organizations, obviously all the political uh, candidates, the, the school bands. This is the UNR marching band. We definitely noticed a, a, a stark in terms of cheering for candidates, it's definitely noticeable that the Republican candidates are sticking out here. Oh yeah, um, I was uh, uh, walking alongside uh, Cisco Aguilar and the Carson City Democrats, and I, they the crowd let them have it. Um, I, you know, I, to the point where I would say it's pretty aggressive. Here you'll hear Tim Leonard, our video producer, who was also down at the parade. This looks like it might be just the Democratic Committee. Oh, this is the Democratic Committee. Let's see how people respond to them. A lot of booze, a lot of booze. I think less booze than for Sisolak, though. Yeah, definitely Sisolak got the most booze of, of, of any candidate so far. Yeah. There was a noticeable difference between the response to Democratic candidates versus Republican candidates in the parade. But it's also important to keep in mind that of the roughly 37,000 people registered to vote in Carson City, almost 15,000 are registered Republicans, where less than 10,000 are registered Democrats.
Right, here comes uh, Joe Lombardo. Oh, he's got like a big monster truck. You know, I was say Lombardo actually had a pretty... I'd say lukewarm. Yeah, lukewarm, yeah. We've got Mark Amaday coming up. Uh, the celebration of Mark Amaday is pretty mild. Not that many people are doing anything for him. But I think people like booing more than they like cheering. That was our audience engagement manager, Kristen Leonard, who was also in attendance at the parade. Yeah, well, okay. There's, there's more community bonding. Right, <laughs> right behind Mark Amaday is, is uh, Aaron Ford. And he doesn't have any signs or anything. Ford's just, he's just waving. People, no one's no one's booing him or anything. He's just kind of walking. I think people don't know who he is. Yeah, that's that's my assessment. The big four candidates, incumbent Democratic governor Steve Sisolak and his Republican challenger Joe Lombardo, and incumbent Democratic senator Catherine Cortez Masto and her Republican opponent Adam Laxalt, all garnered the biggest reactions from the crowd. But other than that, the reactions to smaller down-ballot candidates were very mild with occasional boos for some Democrats. So this guy is running for Carson City Clerk Recorder, and he has a pretty big float for a really specific elected position. My favorite one, though, is I was taking some photos of Zach Conine, our, our state treasurer, and Zach's over there, and he's just talking about, like, college savings funds and passing out, like, informational flyers about going to college to four-year-olds and, like, give this to your parents. Here's his treasurer, Zach Conine. What's he doing, Tim? He's not getting booed, so that's uh, I'd consider that a positive in Carson City. You, as you probably know, I'm also a sports photographer, so like covering politics at this point in the election is really like it's it's teams. They're practically wearing jerseys, and you sort of see the sort of the fanaticism that you would at a, a, a Nevada UNLV game. It just happens to be that these are going to be the people that, that run our government. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol too. <laughs> Nevada Day is a drinking holiday, Joey. What's, what's happening next to us right now? There is a table for, I think, protecting wild horses and a guy coming up talking about how there's too many wild horses and just a, a fight a Bruin. Happy Nevada Day. Yeah, they're, getting, they're getting pretty... It is this, getting, is, this is getting pretty intense. They're, they're yelling at each other in this crowd. <laughs> we, we were seeing, like, there's, it's fun, like, there's some kids in Halloween costumes and stuff walking around. Like, oh, here's a, uh, a whip. People are having a great time. I mean, lots of dogs and kids, and I mean, everyone out here is having a blast. And the diversity is interesting because I think there is a lot of diversity actually at the Nevada Day Parade. Um, and I get, oh, maybe not in political opinion as we've seen with the cheering, but in terms of like, I mean, every race and creed you could see, I think you'll see here. Yeah, different groups for sure. There's a group of people um, riding horses, like dancing horses. It was a like a, a large Latino group, Mexican flags waving, traditional dress. And they're one of the most popular groups here. It's uh, incredible to see. Like, I literally would hear people say, oh, they're my favorite, and like move to the street so they could get a photo with them. And and, and now we're watching, and there's like a, a group of people in a, a Carson City Jeep club driving <laughs> by, like off-roading. This is, uh, here's here's Elizabeth Mercedes Krause, who's running against Amaday in, uh, in uh, District 2 up here. And she's got a whole, um, group with her doing some native dances. It's really impressive. The first indigenous woman to run for Congress in Nevada. The last thing I want to talk about is just that this is like the last kind of big political hurrah before the election, right? We've got the election next week and... Certainly in northern Nevada and definitely in Carson City, like there's obviously going to be get out the vote events. Um, but there's something different about this because it's it's not a rally. It's literally just, you know, they're walking down the street, they're throwing out candy, they're waving. Um, you don't hear their messaging. It's, it's more a chance for their supporters to, to cheer them or jeer them or, or whatever you want. 
it's always seemed like a very political event mixed with this this bit of Nevada pride. And I think that probably stems from like our origins as a state. You know, we, we exist because of politics. And uh, it just sort of makes sense to combine those two things, even when it gets a little bit ugly. And seeing the, the candidates' faces in person, them shaking people's hands, you're not seeing a picture of them, you're not seeing a political ad on TV, you're seeing the person themselves, usually in a float or running alongside one, shaking voters' hands, trying to get people to like look them in the eye and tell them, I'm going to vote for you or I'm not going to vote for you. And I think that's kind of a valuable thing for a lot of people that come to this parade as well. Yeah, or if you're Zach Conine uh, <laughs> trying to tell parents how they can save money so their kids can go to college. And speaking of kids, video producer Tim Leonard's daughter was also in attendance, and she was having a great time. How do you feel about the parade? Bye-bye. Yeah? Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. This show was produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and our own Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, here comes Catherine Cortez Masto. Oh my God, look at that little dog. Sorry.